Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bootser Founder Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Damon Chen, the founder behind Testimonial.to, a social proof tool that has recently reached $400,000 in annual recurring revenue. Now, that's extremely impressive, particularly considering that Damon got there all by himself. So let's just ask how this family man accomplished such growth while living in one of the most expensive places you could ever build a business in. Here's Damon Chen. I was listening to a podcast that you did a year ago or something, or a year and a half ago, and you were at 4K MRR. So you're looking at, at 400 ARR, which is somewhere around like 32 or something in monthly recurring revenue. That is already a significant growth. I guess like in a couple of years, you probably will be at 400K on a monthly so. level. How is that going? How has your growth been? And how has the business itself grown? Yeah, the business is growing... Um... Quite well, uh, I would say um, it's uh, it's almost a double-digit growth every um, m month over month, and they still keep uh, this kind of uh, growth rate. And uh, I think most of it, I would just credit uh, this kind of a growth to the building public. Otherwise, because most of the traffic that I got is from the social media, and it's like a snowball. When I get more exposure on the social media, and uh, and uh, it's like the wave will arrive all the boats and. Uh, the, the SEO or those kind of a uh, word of mouth will also come just uh, naturally, organically, without me doing anything, anything, uh, you know, extra. <laughs> well, I guess you're also building a it's product like a that lends itself to this, right? Yeah, I yes. guess it's not the testimonial that the product itself can be used to talk about the product, which is awesome. I think that's one of the, the best uses of this product. I, I feel that the most mind-blowing ones is when you have a product that itself is a product to tell people about products and they can talk about it in the same same way. I'm I'm super interested in the, the origin of this because from what I know, when I when I first saw you on Twitter, you were building something completely different, or at least what seemed to be completely different, right? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm talking about Lonely Dev at that point. That, that was, uh, th that's a name that I, I don't think many people know because you, you renamed it pretty quickly. Tell me about that and, and where that came from. Yeah, Lonely Dev is a community that uh, I built to solve my own problem because by then, you know, it was early 2020 and uh, the pandemic just hit and I used to work in Cisco and in the Bay Area, in San Francisco Bay Area, all the big companies ask their employees to work from home and I was one of them and I kind of felt lonely because, you know, I was used to be surrounded by my co-worker. I used to have lunch, hangout, you know, coffee chat with uh, them, but uh, after work from home and I was kind of stuck in my, in my own place, <laughs> you know without anyone that I can talk to. So I kind of feel this kind of a loneliness. So that's why that's uh, the idea that I want to create a community. I just don't want to create another, uh, you know, indie hackers community, another, you know, subreddit community. Because all of, you know, most of uh, the existing communities are text-based. And uh, it doesn't really solve my loneliness problem, even if I'm really active um, in those communities and uh i think hmm why right so because i i couldn't really see the people so that's why i, I think maybe i could build a uh, video focused community where people can just uh, you know post their updates um you know if they need any help they can just uh, you know record a video asking for help and other people can you know give give you a hand um so that's the uh, yeah, that's that's where the idea come from. That's why I built the only death. Yeah, looking looking into the story of you and your products, I like video seems to be a common theme, and I I think this this is also a, a typical entrepreneurial thing because once you know one thing you can do well you just see it everywhere right um, i think lonely death then then turned into uh, what was it indie log right yeah lonely death uh, after a few i was a few weeks it was rebranded to indie log because. <laughs> Several of my Lonely Dev community members said that, ah, oh, the, the, the name Lonely Dev sounds a little bit inactive and, uh, you know, they, they aren't actually <laughs> never felt lonely. And, the, yeah. you know, that's, the, that's why I'm kind of thinking uh, maybe it's the time to rebrand it to some, something else. And, uh, you know, Indie Hackers. That's, that's so funny. Yeah, I just uh, got inspired by Indie Hackers. And uh, I think mm, maybe I 
should keep uh, the indie as part of the NAN. And, uh, you know, because people are doing the the log, this kind of thing, and I think hmm, maybe indie plus log and indie log may be a good name. I think that that was a good name because it immediately gave people kind of almost a brand recognition. Like they knew indie hackers, they knew what that meant, right, in that community because indie means a lot of things in different communities. Right? Indie music, you you have indie publishing, but indie hacking is a particular kind of business building, which is not necessarily clear if you know the, if you don't know the word, right? If you only hear the word for the very first time. So I think that was a great name choice. Honestly, I can very much relate to this. My, my second book that I put out, The Embedded Entrepreneur, that's not its initial name. Like the initial name that I had was Audience First, and people told me, hey, this is not what audience first means to me after I told them what I was going to write about. So I think you taking feedback from the community, that's already kind of building public lesson number one. And uh, I don't know if you were building in public at that point or if you were just building on Twitter, which is not necessarily the same, but you already had the the understanding of how to engage with your community and building a community too. That is one thing that I very much appreciate about this because I understand it. So tell me more, like in IndieLog, um, you, you wanted to build a community and I think the video-based approach is a wonderful idea, particularly in, in the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic where people were really craving connection. That is that is spot on, right? That's, that's a solution for that very critical problem. I, I love it. So did you intend to ever monetize it? And if so, how did it go? I never intend to monetize, uh, make any money uh, out of my community members. So that's the thing that I know from the very beginning. Uh, one of the reasons is that I was uh, still employed. I got my weekly, uh, bi-weekly paycheck and I have no monetization, uh, this kind of pressure. So I just very enjoyed in making friends from my own community. And the community is not big. It's not like, uh, you know, the scale of uh, indie hackers. You just, uh, you know, several uh, tens or, 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 or a little, little bit of hundreds of uh, active um, community members. So that's more than enough to me. So because I, I, I'm the only moderator, I'm the only person to, to you know, manage uh, the Lonely Dev community. And if I have, uh, let's say 20 or 30 video updates every day. So that's more than enough for me to, to watch and <laughs> interactive. So I kind of treat my community members as my friends. So I just, uh, you know, want to hear what they are up to. And I also want to share what I'm, what I'm up to. And so we kind of just uh, engage every day and, uh, yeah, not, no, 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 really the uh, monetization, this kind of thing. That makes sense to me. Obviously, you wanted some kind of um, just you wanted friends, right? Who doesn't want to talk to friends like people who both know what they're doing, like peers in, in, in terms of doing the, the same thing as you do and people who just want to hang out like nobody wants to sell you anything. Nobody wants to convince you to buy their courses or something. You just want to share your own progress. That, that is kind of what, what I like about building in public because it's not pushy. Right, that's it's more about like okay, here is what I did. What did you do? Like, do you have anything to say about this? But it's a it's a demonstration, not a demo. Right, even though it's technically the same term, but you're not you're not trying to push anything. Okay, so you're building a community without the intent to monetize it. Honestly, the the founder in me would say, well, that doesn't sound like a business, and obviously it it isn't right, but. A business came out of this. So how did you go from unmonetized community of a couple people that you hang out with to a business that has that is making multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars in recurring revenue every year? How did that happen? It is because, it is still because of uh, the pandemic. Because as I said, in the early uh, 2020, the pandemic hit and uh, I started feeling lonely. I built lonely death. And I thought, the pandemic will go away in a year, you know, at least by end of 2020 and things will go back to normal. And I go back to office and my daughter go back to her daycare. And, uh, you know, I continue to work in my little cubicle, but things didn't happen as I expected, you know, things even get worse. So as I mentioned, my daughter, you know, we didn't send her to daycare and uh, she stays at home. I kind of feel, you know, really can't manage my work and life. And uh, to me, by the time, you know, when my daughter was still young and uh, she's like my top priority, 
And uh, I think uh, I started to talk to my wife. Hey, I can't really work, you know, really focus on my work. What, what should I do? And at least one of us should quit our job and take care of our daughter uh, full time. And one person has to sacrifice. And uh, yeah, my wife works for a startup and uh, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of stuff. Uh, for me, the job is kind of uh, getting bored. And I w at that moment, I was kind of thinking a pivot in my career uh, because uh, that's why I started building some side houses like uh, Lonely Dev. I, I kind of thinking that hmm, either I quit my job, prepare some job interview and land a better job at any of the fan company, or I started doing side hustling and try to see if I can make a profit and make a living out of the thing here. <laughs> Before the pandemic, uh, when we just had our daughter in 2018, I was kind of interviewing with uh, those fan companies, but uh, all of them, I just uh, felt the interview and I was kind of, you know, bored at the interview uh, process and I just, uh, <laughs> you know, I have to spend uh, several months to prepare the job, to prepare the coding interview and other interview process. And that's kind of make me think, you know, I really don't want to. And not to mention that if I land a job at any fan company and uh, the only thing maybe better is I get higher paid. But in terms of the stuff that I'm working, probably I would still do the same thing uh, just to change my employer. If I think that, oh, I'm going to stay at the company until my retire, that's probably not the thing that I want to do. And that's not the thing that will make me excited. So I, I kind of gave up that approach at uh, that um, branch. And uh, I think that maybe I could just uh, spend six months or a year, try to do some side hustling and uh, see if I can make it. And uh, the worst thing that for me is just, I lost a several month paycheck and uh, I still have my uh, safety, you know, uh, safety line, which is that I'm a software engineer. I can, and I live in the Bay area and the job demand is still really high. Uh, but now maybe, maybe not, but by then it's, uh, I think that I can always fall back to a corporate job again. If after six months, I just felt at doing um, my own startup. That, I think it's a common thing among software engineers is that they always have the way back into the industry, right? Even though you might be spending a couple of years building your own thing and then you might be slightly behind on whatever version React is at at this point or what new fancy framework is happening in, somewhere, right? That you may not have uh, incorporated into your work as much as you could have you're still a good software engineer because you know how to code and right? you know how to, and, and you also know how, if, if you've been working in corporate businesses before, you know how that works, you know who to talk to and how to talk to people. So that's something that's always an option. And many, many software engineers, particularly in our industry, right? Like in the, in the IT space, they, they want to potentially build a business and they're scared of building a business because it means, uncertainty it means risk and i want to talk to you about that too um but there's always another way you can always like do things on the side you can freelance or consult or just find a part-time job stuff like that 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 is an option but and i hear many people who are listening to this yell at me <laughs> probably if we have a family if we have a life and that has a priority you can't just do yet another job and build a business and take care of a family right that there's always priorities and you have to shuffle them and you did that and i'm excited to hear about how you did that or maybe even if you could tell people who are in a position like this who want to reprioritize who want to get out of a full-time job into a entrepreneurial situation how to deal with with kids how to deal with raising a child and having a family while still building a business on a budget or i guess on with certain level of runway anything you can share anything that could help people here i think i, I i'm actually not um you know rent lately just to quit my job with just a you know zero dollar mr this kind of thing i 
actually quit my job uh, when testimonial hit a um, thousand MR. And, and by then I talked to my wife, hey, uh, this could be a thing. And uh, my wife, uh, her, her, her job is uh, some data analytics and just to show her my MR chart. Uh, this kind of growth rate, and he, nice. he could see, he could project, he, yeah, he good could convincing material, something. right? <laughs> he, uh, she, 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 she could uh, predict something probably in uh, another uh, 12 month. So I just, uh, I just told her that uh, I'm gonna make this a uh, hundred thousand ARR uh, by end of, uh, by end of. Uh, uh, within 12 months, and if I cannot make it, I'm gonna quit my. I'm gonna quit this thing and go back to uh, find a job. If I can make it, I'm gonna stick to it uh, forever. Um, so wow. yeah, that's I, incredible. I, yeah, yeah, like, that, it's, I, it's, a, it's an incredible promise, yeah. right? Like the promise itself is incredible. The fact that you actually are still working on the product means you did it. So that <laughs> is even more incredible. Wow. That is cool. Yeah, after after nine months, I I hit uh, 100k ARR, and uh, yeah. that means that I can uh, continue to do uh, uh, testimonial. Okay, uh, I mentioned that I quit my job at a uh, thousand uh, MR milestone, and I wouldn't suggest people to just to quit uh, the, uh, their full time um, job without having uh, any uh, validation. And uh, you. You ask me how I balance this kind of uh, uh, hustling with my family, with my kid. I would say that you know it's, it is always uh, like a grinding, uh, especially in the beginning, because the product is not really mature and uh, still get a lot of uh, you know uh, uh, feedback from my initial customers. You know this this feature is uh, missing, that feature is you know hit box here and where uh, here and there. Uh, so, so yeah, early days is pretty tough. I would say you have, you have to be mentally uh, prepared as well, because I said that I have to take care of, uh, our daughter. By then she was like a one and a half years old. I have to take care of her, especially in the daytime, spend several hours, the full time taking care of her, uh, in the daytime. And, uh, and I, I, several, uh, cases that uh, my customer uh, asked for some customer support, but I have to tell them that, hey, um, I have to take my daughter to a playground. Can I uh, reply you in an hour or two? The, the, there are several times that I reply a sport tickets like this and my customers would understand. And uh, some of them know me uh, from Twitter and they would, uh, you know, they, they, they're patient on it. I, I would really appreciate their understanding, and uh, but uh, you know, running a business in the early stage is really tough. Um, so I mentioned that I take care of my daughter uh, in the daytime. So that's that means that I have to spend uh, my night or even midnight burning my you know midnight oil to fix things to to implement stuff. So yeah, just to summarize, you have to be financially. Um, prepared at least some you know uh revenue validation and you have to be mentally prepared so it's a tough journey that uh, you are you, you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it, i mean it's it sounds tough too right i i went through a similar journey we i mean we quit our jobs like with feedback panda the business that we built we quit our jobs when Feedback Panda was making fifteen thousand dollars in monthly recurring revenue. Like we we were f like we were in there for much much longer because we wanted to make absolutely sure that we could finance our lives with that because we had no savings at that point. Right? We didn't have a I didn't have a really high paying job. I had a well paying job, but not high enough to save a lot. And Danielle was doing essentially freelance work, so there was also not that much going on with her then. So we, we were waiting a long, long time. And you know what? I admire the fact that you prioritize your child over customer service because that goes against all of hustle culture and grind set and all the bullshit, to be honest, that people spout and try to tell you when it comes to building a business, right? The fact that you prioritize your family in that moment and you you have customers, you attract customers that understand that and value that. 
that speaks tons about you as a founder and about a per, a you as the person owning the business because you set these kind of standards in in that business even if it's just a, your own business and nobody would ever work for you that standard alone tells me everything about how much you care right you don't just care about your customers you care about yourself so much that you I think, how how do I phrase this best? I think you need to be healthy and whole to be able to give people that are your customers good service and to provide a good business, a good product and a good business, right? If you starve yourself, if you starve your social connections, which is, I guess, harking back to IndieLog and, and what you wanted to do there, right? If you don't have relationships with people in your own life and in the digital world or wherever, and you then hope to build something meaningful, it's not going to happen. You need to be whole. You need to be healthy to be able to build a good business. So I really admire what you're doing there. And I I, I just love that. I, I think it's just so nice to hear a successful founder say they said no to a customer. I'm going to do that later. It's just something you don't really hear every day. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, that's, really happy that, you said that. Yeah. I think that I already sacrificed my paycheck. And I just don't want to sacrifice, you know, I sacrifice paycheck to get, to get, uh, the precious moment with my family, and that's the thing that, that that that's my goal. So it doesn't really make sense to sacrifice the time that I am gonna spend with my daughter. So I know that I would because of this, I lost a few uh, customers, and I think the 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 the, the business can last uh, for for many years, and I can always re uh, attract them uh, back uh, after a few months. But uh, you know, for for our kid, you know, the, the toddler period is just uh, only once. And uh, once, once it's gone, it's, it's gone. Yeah, it's formative, right? You you want to be there. You want to be present in that time. Very much appreciated. And I think it's um, that's important for people to hear. Because you, you like the general, generally you don't talk about the, the kind of soft problems in building a business too much, right? We talk about churn. We talk about MRR and whatever weird metric and, you know, all these numbers and hard technical choices that we make. But rarely do we talk about missing our child growing up while building a business. You you hear people in the in the academic space talk about that a lot, right? I've, I've heard um, people who went for PhD uh, going through relationships kind of sacrificing their relationships of many years because they just could not spend the time with their partner and they grew apart, right? And and even that people don't talk about much. And I think founders have the same problem if they overcommit to the project that they're building. And the, the more stress you have in your life because you do not have the financial safety net or because you, you know, for some other reason, you really need to make this work. That kind of gets people so involved in their business that they lose touch with everything around them. Yeah, you just raised a really good point that, you know, set a perfect expectation. So that's the thing. That's the trick that I, you know, make my uh, customers happy. Because every time that I told them that, hey, I'm going to uh, probably will reply you by uh, end of day, uh, normally, and no, normally I would just reply them, you know, within um, 30 minutes or an, an hour. So I, I told them that, hey, I'm, I'm going to take my daughter to uh, the playground and probably be back in two hours. Uh, but in an hour, uh, I can I can come back and I can just take care of it. So they they were all, they can always get my response um, faster than than they can they expect. It's an interesting psychological thing too because you tell them something that they can relate to. Right, so all of a sudden, you're not just this this business that they talk to. You're a, a father. You're a person, and a person that is having a little person that really wants to go play on the swings. Right, that is something that is that happening in the minds of the people talking to you. And all of a sudden, you're not just that customer service rep. Honestly, I think customer service can can really benefit from humanizing the interaction. I've been I've been experiencing this on the on the end of on the other end. Like I have similar experiences to you from the perspective of a business owner having like human to human conversations with the people who used our product. I had a lot of conversations that stole a lot of my development time because I was rather chatting with the customers than building the next feature. But it was worth it because you connect with somebody and you understand them better, which then influences product choices and marketing choices and that stuff. But most recently, I've been having uh, these kind of experiences on the other side as a consumer. I have been ordering stuff online as anybody has in the pandemic, right? And sometimes stuff goes wrong and 
things get misdelivered or not delivered at all. And I've made a point in every interaction that I have with somebody in a customer chat for, I don't know, Walmart or another gigantic company, usually nameless companies, to mention the person by name that is talking to me. And when just using their name in a response sometimes makes all the difference about how they approach the conversation. Because I've, I've done this before not using the name, just saying what I wanted and venting. I want this, I, this doesn't happen, I want that, right? That kind of, you know, customer service behavior. But the moment you use the, the person's name, more options appear. All of a sudden, they spend a lot of time to try and make the thing happen for you, right? They might even go out of their way to do something that they wouldn't have done if you had just complained about what you have. And I think from both sides of the customer service conversation, humanizing it makes makes a whole lot of deal. And that brings me to the ultimate thing that I wanted to talk to you about today, because testimonial is all about social interactions, it's about social proof. That's what the, the tool is, um, for me at least, in my perception. And in, in its, in its core, it's a, a way to get social proof and to demonstrate social proof and to further social proof. So I, I want to ask you just, I guess it's a biased uh, question because I, I also am building an audience and all that kind of stuff. But how important is social proof for businesses and why are testimonials such an important thing that, in consequence, created such a great business for you. I think it should go back to uh, the the twenty twenty when I uh, built several uh, other products uh, before testimonial. Because you know the common thing for me is that I can't really make any money out of uh, those uh, products. I treat them as the failed products, and uh, why they can't make any money. And uh, me, as a software engineer, as an engineer, and we always like, um, you know, finding some, you know, life hacks, right? Some, sh some shortcuts to, to solve the problem. And I'm not, I'm not a marketing and salesperson. And the shortcuts for me seem like, hey, maybe I, I just uh, throw some, you know, reviews uh, on the product landing page. And, and and try to see if um, people can really get uh, convinced and get converted, and and but the text reviews are not really uh, you know attracting to me, and uh, I I don't really want to create yet another uh, you know text review uh, product, and because I built Lonely Dev, which is a video uh, focused community, and I think that probably I can just add some video reviews. And the, the, the reason that I think that I can add the video testimonials there is because I, I think I just stopped by some um, 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 uh, websites. I think it's a Shopify uh, developer website and it has some uh, video reviews from the Shopify developers there. And that made me think that I could probably integrate the video stuff into uh, other review and see uh, if people will buy it. And, um, and that, 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 that's the reason that I pivot uh, the, uh, the original uh, product from Lonely Dev to, <laughs> to, to Testimonial. I, I, just, I just think that people, when people see the reviews, people see the testimonials, people will get, com uh, will get convinced because you are, you are a content creator. You are now a, you know, turn yourself into a content creator and people buy uh, your book. And it's like people buy from people. If people don't know you, people never heard any, you know, shout out from uh, other people. It's really hard that for me, if I'm a new visitor and I'm interested in buying the, the you know, the, 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 embed, the embedded uh, entrepreneur, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I don't see any reviews and, uh, you know, I'll probably, what, you will have less chance to uh, convert me to be a paying customer. I'm actually, I think I'm using your product on, on the course landing page for find your following. Um, <laughs> my what a course. Yeah, that's uh, just looking at it. I got a couple of video reviews there too, and I was I was thinking like when I first saw that, like the the idea of asking my my customers to have a a video review, I was like, yeah, this is so much better than the text review, but not just because it's a new medium, but also because it actually makes it easier to spot fakes. 
I, I feel like to me, social proof is very connected to authenticity and trust, right? These kind of things that you need to build a relationship with somebody and somebody tweeting something I could have just given them, if if I wanted to, give them a text for them to tweet, pay them for it. It's how many people on Twitter like do advertisements, right? They give other people things to tweet and then they pay them for that, uh, which I find very shady because it's it's very inauthentic. But, you know, people do whatever they want in terms of uh, ads and marketing. It's not for me, but I've seen it. It's kind of like ghostwriting, but bad, even worse uh, than than in many other ways. But a video, you can spot a faked video from miles away. Right, like particularly if you if you are into um, online uh, video game streaming or something, and you see people shilling products, you can see how fake it is. Like if somebody likes something, they will tell you they like it. But if they're paid to do it, you will see this kind of cringy moment of inauthentic advertising. And I love that about video testimonials because if they're not honest, I wouldn't use them. Right, so. I or I would, people would immediately know that they're not honest, and and that is just something that I don't want to communicate. So by having honest testimonials, you also transport and project honesty on people. Um, is that something um, that that you intentionally built? Like, did you intentionally build this kind of um, with an honesty and authenticity focus, or is that just a consequence of the format of the medium? I think things still needs to go back to lonely death because. The way that I want to build the product is I, 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 I try to, you know, I just want to uh, connect with the real people and have this kind of real, real relationship. That's the purpose that I want to build uh, Lonely Death. And for, for, for reviews, exactly like you said, you know, there were so many uh, fake reviews and uh, reviews like, um, you know, people just type really short sentences like, oh, great, great product, uh, you know, highly recommended. And, uh, you know, append uh, five stars on top of uh, the text reviews. <laughs> those reviews are, you know, you can obviously uh, detect that oh, those, those, those reviews are probably templated. And, uh, and not to mention that, you know, if you use some text reviews with a user avatar and those avatar images are from the, the, the stock, the, the, those stock side. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Th so, this person does not exist. Or something. Uh, does yeah. not exist. <laughs> so, so if you have those kind of reviews, and that's kind of like uh, will bring some uh, negative uh, impact to a business. And uh, but but uh, video testimonials will be will be totally different. Even if the people didn't say a word, simply by looking at the person's face by by looking at how the person uh, talk and you can immediately feel if the person is really happy or not. So that's, that's the power that, you know, any non-video stuff can't really compete. I think that uh, very much describes the, the whole world of audience building to me because the relationships you build with people, if you have not just text, but also audio and then on top of that video, it's just a better way to relate, right? And that's kind of, I, I love you going back to IndieLog with this because that that is the point, right? That's why you built this thing because you wanted to connect with people. And the best way to connect is through writing plus audio, plus hearing, plus seeing, right? All the senses in one. And I think uh, the, the fact that you have built a business around that is wonderful. And the fact that you have a almost, I, I hope soon half a million dollars in uh, annual recurring revenue. I, I don't think that it's going to take you long to get there. So so far, you have two people in the business. Is that right? Yes. I just hired a, a marketing guy uh, last week. So it's, it's nice. his uh, second well, week. Well, that is, that is an interesting choice. Interesting choice to, to hire. Why is that? Because even after two years running my own business, and I, I still don't think that I, I can handle the marketing um, and sells really well. Oh, I know the marketing is just the building public, making tweets, uh, other other things like uh, you know code outreach. I'm not really interested in just uh, spending my time doing some uh, upgradable things. You know, I'm still an engineer. I just uh, I try to focus myself on the core uh, product wise, and for those um, you know uh, manual stuff, which involves human effort, and uh, I prefer to have 
someone with uh, his expertise to handle that. And I think it's the perfect time to bring someone uh, to the team. Uh, one of the reasons is that you know the business is uh, growing and it, it is uh, profitable. Another thing is that uh, early uh, in June uh, this year, uh, we had our uh, second kid. And, uh, you know, it, it, it will take me <laughs> some extra time to take care of him. So, yeah, I I, <laughs> yeah, and I, if I'm running everything by myself, I have to build the product, I have to market it, I have to do all those kind of uh, other uh, stuff. So I think that, you know, it's probably not good uh, to run a one-man business at all because I kind of have this kind of a single point of failure because, you know, if I'm with my kids and my family, the business is kind of, you know, paused. And uh, nothing, uh, you know, no, 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 no other people can move the needle ahead. So I think, you know, my family reason and also the business is profitable. That made me think that it's the perfect time to bring someone else uh, to the team. The person should be a compliment to my uh, skill, which means that, you know, he has to or she has to be uh, handling the marketing and sales. That's good. Yeah, I think it's uh, particularly for solopreneurs, there is a point, right? There's a point where you reach saturation and you know that, or I hope you know that at that point, there, there is a way beyond that. There's, it's just getting help, getting somebody else to do the work that you either don't like or you're not as good as somebody to replace that limited capacity of yours with their full capacity, that, that's, a, that's a big choice. It's, by the way, also a, a problem that I had in my own business. We, we were co-founders. We were two people to begin with. So it's a different story. But I, I had uh, problems hiring because, and I, I think I'm quoting you here, I didn't want to manage people. That is that I read that tweet of yours like a couple was hours ago or days ago. But you know, you you like me, I guess. You wanted to build stuff. You wanted to like build a business, build code, write code, write cool, make cool products. But you didn't want to manage other engineers, other people, tell them how to do their job. And that kept me from finding help, finding people who could potentially take the the load off my shoulders and allow me to focus on the things that I actually should have focused on. So I'm wondering, that said, how are you going to, if at all, grow the engineering side, the technical side of the business? What are the plans for you there? I really don't have any plans. Um um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, th I think the way that I want to work, uh, you know, or either, you know, manage a team will be the way that I wish I was treated when I worked for my pre previous, um, previous employer. So, you know, I, I will try to be the person that I wished, uh, my previous manager uh, could be. So, um, yeah, if uh, I bring someone to the team, I just want to, you know, give them the full uh, control over a project. Actually, I, I'm doing a similar stuff on, uh, from Upwork where I try to hire some freelancers, uh, contractors, uh, just to work on a, a particular small project. And uh, the contract, the, uh, the, the one type of the contract that I don't really uh, like to work is that they constantly ask my uh, feedback and those contractors tend to charge way less uh, than the average rate. So those type of person, because, you know, I, I pay, let, let's say I, I pay them $50 uh, uh, per hour, but uh, they will also cost me uh, you know, several hours during the day. So it's not, it's no longer 50 hours uh, anymore. It's like, uh, you know, I, I put my own hour on top of their hour and it's like, uh, you know, a hundred per hour cost. And those type of, the, uh, those type of person I don't really want to work with. And I have to inject so many of my own thing instead of their creativity. I tend to hire multiple, more than one person on a, on the same project so that I can compare. And the, the, the perfect type of uh, developer that I want to work with, I just uh, throw them on the ideas, some, some mock-ups. Uh, but in terms of the, the detail, the nitty-gritty stuff, that they don't, have to, they don't have to talk to me. They just need to show the MVP 
of their product and ask me to, to test it out. If I have uh, some, you know, feedback on top of, you know, the general stuff, I just tell them. And in terms of how they can implement it, they don't have to uh, say anything to me. If I want to, if I want to, if I want to uh, know, I can always check the, 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 the GitHub, GitHub repo, but uh, they don't really need to ask uh, any, you know, feedback on those tiny uh, little stuff. Yeah, I think that for software entrepreneurs who have come from a coding background and now are building a business, it's hard to to do this kind of split to balance this because like corporate software engineers often are trained to build exactly to specification, right? Here's the thing we need and make sure this is exactly what it's going to look like and work with all these other people in test and then in DevOps to, to make it compatible with whatever kind of weird corporate infrastructure there is. You have a lot of totally constraints and a lot of document, documented like things you need to implement. You want people of that skill level, but you want them to be completely autonomous and just give you the thing, right? That That is such a hard balance to strike. I, I understand the problem. And that, that honestly was one of the reasons why I didn't hire. And I got into a burnout situation myself because I thought nobody can ever do what I do. <laughs> Which obviously is not the case, right? But um, it, it, it made it hard. It made it hard with um, just to convince myself that... It's fine if it takes some of my time because when we then actually, when we sold the business and I'm going to talk to you about potentially um, acquisitions and stuff, this is an interesting topic. But when we sold ours, I, I had to hire my own replacement and uh, the person that we found that we hired to take over all my jobs, not only were they amazing because they're really, really good at what they were doing, but they didn't need any handholding other than a couple days of me telling them this is where it is, this is where, you know, like what that module does, what that configuration where you find that kind of stuff. After a couple of days, silence. They understood it. They went through it. They, they dealt with it. And I didn't have to do anything with them. It was the best transition of our business I could ever have done, right? We gave them the keys to the city, essentially handed over the whole business, and then a couple of days of additional work, and we were done. It was awesome. So talking you, you about should have this, done this uh, see... way before. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah that's that, that's exactly what i was thinking i thought huh if i had done this maybe half a year ago hired somebody to share the work with then maybe we could have grown the business even more so now that the, we, we were selling it we could have sold it for twice the amount of money i mean we still sold it for a life-changing amount of money that's not the problem but you know you wonder if i had had help where could we have gone and this is a great opportunity to talk about the sponsor of this show today. Microacquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace, and it's simply the most efficient way to sell your startup when you're ready to make your next move. Typically, as a first-time founder, you really have no idea what you're getting yourself into when you go through an acquisition. And Microacquire wants to change that for you and empower you when you're speaking with buyers and then really help you streamline this whole process of getting acquired for the maximum price without any of the headaches that come with having to go through this alone. You don't need to go alone. Microacquire can help. And they have helped thousands of startups successfully get acquired at this point, and they have facilitated hundreds of millions in close deal volume. So if you're thinking about selling your startup, you might want to check out Microacquire. Go to microacquire.com to learn more. Having said this, do you, do you build your business to be sold at one day? Like, do you want it to be an acquisition target for somebody? Or how, how, did, how is this coming along? Because 400000 a year, that's a lot of money. And that is just looking at even a, a mild and a low valuation. That's a million-dollar deal at least. So how, how, how are you thinking about that? So for now, I, I have no uh, exit plan. Uh, and uh, I just want to reach a million-dollar AR. And that seems like a magic uh, number that most of our bootstrappers want to uh, reach out to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, because for now, it's I'm kind of at a, a weird stage that, you know, for uh, 400K ARR, and I think that Zhang Yongfu uh, uh, used to tweet when he uh, reached 400K and he, he said that uh, probably he could sell his uh, banner bear uh, at a five, uh, five X, uh, multiples 
uh, on top there, that means that he can sell uh, two million uh, for someone to take care of uh, Banner Bear, but he, he he won't do that, and and it's 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 not it's 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 a good money, but it's not really uh, life-changing. Not to mention that if you have a team and uh, you also want your team uh, benefits from uh, an exit. So, yeah. So I think I will still try to uh, continue to to grow my business. And because, you know, another reason is that I live in a very expensive area in the, in the United States. You live in the San Francisco area and uh, the, the software engineers here are getting paid like, you know, two, two, two hundred k, three hundred k per year, and the housing here is at least uh, mil millions levels, and so I think the life changing money uh, for me is probably, you know, uh, several millions, ten, uh, ten millions level. So I treat life changing uh, number to be uh, if I, let's say, if I work uh, at any fan company, let's say I, I got paid three hundred k. And uh, life changing means that if I don't work in the next uh, 20 years uh, and 300K times 20, and that means uh, probably a life changing sum is uh, 6 million uh, to me. It's funny, right? Because $2 million obviously is life changing almost everywhere else but everywhere in the else. Silicon Valley yes. community, right? Yes. Like yes. If, you, if you move over a couple hundred kilometers to the south, or um, even even to the east from there, maybe even to the to the north, you will find that this this kind of money, like two million dollars, will buy you a house and probably a, a couple decades of not having to do anything at all. So it's it makes a lot of sense that in your situation where you're at, this is not the the ultimate choice. But it's nice to know that you are already at that stage. That's the thing that I think is uh, mind-blowing in, in that situation that you're in. I, I hope you understand this. Because when I was in that situation, when we were reaching those kind of numbers, it didn't occur to me. It only occurred to me when somebody reached out to me and, and, uh, and us, the business, and told us, hey, we were interested in buying your company. And then we asked, okay, uh, for this much? And they said, sure. And we looked, What? You know, like that was the kind of the situation that we were in at that point. I just, I had never thought about it. Funny enough, I built the company to be sellable, right? Because I had read all these books about built to sell John Warlow and um, uh, entrepreneurial, or just the e-myth the, the, by, by Gerber. Like that, that kind of stuff was already on my mind, but I had never thought like, oh yeah, my company is actually worth something at this point. And then you start treating it like you have to protect it as well, right? You have to make sure that the company sticks around and that the, the value, the wealth that you've built already needs to continue to grow. So interesting to hear um, your your exit potential exit number because everybody's uh dream exit everybody everybody's dream could also be like to keep the company running forever right so it's uh doesn't have to be an exit at all um are you building the company in a in a sellable way like is is that uh, even though you don't have to sell it obviously but are you are you building it with that potentially in mind after i hit a uh, million AR, that 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 was uh, <laughs> for now. It's a no. It's a no, uh, and it doesn't make sense to me uh, to to sell. And the business is still growing uh ten percent over ten percent uh, month over yeah. month, and we could uh, hit a million R, um, you know, uh, sometime next year, and uh, yeah, um, I think uh, an exit is a big thing uh, to uh, any. Any founder or co-founder, and uh, and don't think that you know building a product is uh, is 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 the most important. And if you don't have a good uh, ac exit strategy, you don't, if you don't have a good uh, you know exit uh, negotiation, and you could potentially uh, lose several million dollars just uh, in an exit uh, you know deal. And uh, I think that's the thing that should. Uh, in our mind, especially even if we never thought about uh, an exit at this moment. And I used to talk to a founder, I couldn't disclose his name, and uh, he also exited his business at a life-changing sum. And it's really a life-changing, it's, it's really a life-changing sum. And he told me that, he suggested me to think about an exit uh, at this moment. And, and the, the way that he had a perfect um, exit is because he just, uh, you know, shop around and uh, he, he could potentially raise some VC bond and, and also he, he can uh, just have an, uh, you know, exit 
to, to sell 100% of his business. And the way that he negotiated a perfect uh, offer is that he just used the VC valuation and present it to uh, the private equity. And if they want to buy it, uh, he just said that uh, if you can offer this amount of money, I will sell it right away. And that's the way that, you know, the, genius. You know, Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I, I think generally, it's it's a th that is a great example of like building a, a business with the exit in mind without like forcing the exit itself. And it's just like knowing what you're worth, and also understanding the dynamics of the private equity, like that knowing that they want to buy a business because it generates money because it has value to them, and it, if they keep growing it, if they keep running it, then it will over time generate more than they pay for it. Right, so that's that's kind of understanding how, what that value is, and then using that in a negotiation. Generally, a good idea to do this at a point where you don't need to sell, where you're just able to sell, which is also yeah. an important thing, yeah. right? If, yeah. if you're, at least you can do some brain, brain training and just uh, get yeah. get yourself prepared when the final day uh, comes. Yeah, I think so too. I, I'm honestly, I think you, you could sell right now and it would be great. But looking at what you're, what you're doing and how, how the trajectory of it is going, I hope that you can keep running this for a long, long time. Uh, provide a lot of people with great testimonials and still, and at the same time, build an amazing business for yourself and, and your family. I think that's that is that is wonderful. I'm uh, extremely glad to see this working out so well. And I know that you took some funding with this, just a tiny little bit in the beginning, right? I'm, I myself am invested in the, the Calm Company Fund, which back then was called Earnest Capital, which, in, in, yeah, I am. I think I am actually invested in your business. But <laughs> it's just, yeah, don't, don't even need to talk yeah. about that, yeah. really. But yes, I'm, I'm in there too. I'm in the mentor network as well. And uh, that, that has, how has that been for you? Like the, the experience of taking like bootstrap or compatible funding and not VC funding. Can you, because I'm, I'm excited to hear about this from the actual people who get the money, not just the person who's an investor in, in, the, in that fund. Talk to me about that. I think when uh, when Ernest uh, when Ernest Capital uh, now now the compound uh, invest in Tesmono and Tesmono almost hit two uh, thousand uh, MRR and uh, that that is still early and uh, I think having uh, Ernest uh, on my capital is 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 my uh, um, um, how to say uh, it's it's kind of like Uh, the thing that um, I really want to have, uh, I, I, I'm not really concerned about the, the equity, and equity is just a you know a single digit. And the more important thing to me is um, uh, having a community uh, where I can uh, surround myself with, and the 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 and the portfolio companies in the earnings capital is uh, you know they're probably doing uh, several million dollars. Uh, and a recurring revenue, and uh, those founders tend to give me more uh, approachable and practical uh, advices instead of I, you know, randomly watch some YouTube um, uh, video and got advice from uh, <laughs> you know, Peter Thiel uh, or Elon know, Fortune, Musk, Fortune, you know. Fortune 500 uh, <laughs> company CEO, uh, yeah, executive, right. this kind of thing. So, so I, I can even interact with uh, interact. Uh, you know, with them like, like, like you, right? So, so, and it's always be good to uh, follow uh, the fellow, um, you know, founders uh, step. I, I really want to do that because it's, it's like, uh, you know, I pay them my equity to be able to get myself a ticket into uh, the, the community. So that's, that, that, that's w what I think of um, why I want to bring uh, Compound. Uh, to my capital. That is cool. That that is nice to hear, and I, and it makes a lot of sense. I think like that's why I build in public, and that what that's why I follow so many people who build in public is because you learn most from the people who are just a little bit ahead of you, 
or who've done the thing you want to do before and they can tell you exactly what they did so you can be inspired, right? You can't repeat it. Every every business is its own little thing, but you can definitely find inspiration in it. And I think that's that's a big part of our community that um that makes it even possible for us to have these little businesses. And I mean little and not in a diminutive way, right? I mean it and really just in terms of uh, the amount of money that they initially at least that they make. The fact that somebody would invest in your business with two thousand dollars in recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. They take like, big the, big risks. And whatever whatever other industry would do this, right? What VC yeah, no. would invest in a in a no business way. like this, but but now now you see why it led, and and all now all it's very obvious that it was a good choice, and I feel um, you need people who understand bootstrapping to give advice to bootstrappers and to give money to bootstrappers as well, and this is obviously not a, a sponsored calm fund uh, <laughs> conversation, but I, I just I, I find it um, that it's it's one of the ways that bootstrappers support each other right there's there's building in public there's teaching there's podcasts like this conversations where people share what they know and there are ways to use institutional money or just to investor money to further the means of other bootstrappers without having them all of a sudden following different directions right that's that's the one gripe that i have with vc money is often that okay now you're trying to have hyper growth because otherwise the investment doesn't make sense and there are options beyond Comfund, obviously, as well. But there are many bootstrapper-compatible indie funding options there out there, and I, I really appreciate that. Would you would you say um, that you will ever go for more funding, or is is it bootstrapping all the way from here on? I would say at this moment, I just boot, bootstrap all the way. Uh, in, in terms of funding, there. So for now, there are uh, other kind of options. You don't have to sacrifice any uh, equity. Like uh, you know, Pive or the the the, the founder path, and those the, the, those two are not not sponsors <laughs> uh, as well. But uh, I I'd like to share you know say say their name. You know you can you can you, you can you, there's a magical way that you you can just leverage to get some uh, capital instead of uh, uh, sacrifice any of your equity. So the way that they do is that you know if you earn some uh, monthly recurring revenue, they can turn the monthly recurring revenue. With a little bit of you know discount, so that they gave you, um, you know, something like the uh, annual recurring revenue. So it, that means that they become your um, um, annual subscriber, but you have to give them a little bit of discount. So that way you can get the capital right away. And if you wanna you know uh, invest uh, the money in your team, and you can that that's another way you can you can go after. What is cool about these approaches is that they're data driven. Right, they look at the actual numbers. They look at your retention, your churn, your customer acquisition costs. They look at your, the lifetime value. They, they don't just hope that you win the whole market. Like it's not that they're gonna throw millions of dollars because you're gonna disrupt. I don't know the, the social proof. Like you're not gonna disrupt social proof. You're just gonna enable people to integrate social proof into their businesses, right? Almost in a, in a traditional, almost boring way, are you building a business that just gives people the tool that they need to do one more thing for their business, right? You're not changing the world. You kind of are. You're making things better, but you're not doing it as, as this great disruptive move, and you don't need billions of dollars for that. So I, I think, yeah, the founder path and um, pipe alternatives are obviously also great options to front load revenue because that's what it is, right? It's not hopeful money. It's your revenue as it would come anyway earlier. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Hey, I I think uh, we're, we're hitting time here, so this is this has been such an interesting conversation about a business that, um, to me, is doing so much good, and for you obviously, but also for the people who use it. Um, thank you so much for talking to me uh, about testimonial and all the other little things today. I I know your journey has been a long one with uh, a lot of projects that were left on the side or that things grew out of and it's always exciting to to hear the the story the history and the the things that the that impacted your decision making in the process um if people want to follow you on your existing journey right now and your building and public journey of testimonial and whatever may come next where can they find you uh they can find me on twitter i pretty much share a lot of stuff uh uh for my uh building public this kind of movement with other fellow makers like uh you know you, I, this, you are like a, a legend to me. So my Twitter handle is uh, D A M E N G C H E N, 
And uh, yeah, they can check out uh, testmonet.io if um, you want to have this kind of search approved, collect uh, testimonials, and also import um, reviews from uh, third-party sites and have testimonial to be a one-stop shop to manage all your social proof across the internet. Wow, you you know how to sell your product. I love that. <laughs> and honestly, I've been I've been using it. Like I've been like, doing exactly what you've just been saying, like importing stuff from other sites, like both from Twitter and I, th I think even Amazon and stuff. Like just pulling Amazon, in this information yes. about 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 my work um and, and other places into one cohesive wall of love, which is amazing. Th thank you so much for being here today and for building such awesome products. That was that was really sweet of you. Thank my pleasure. You. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap on the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you'll find my books Zero to Sold and The Embedded Entrepreneur, and my Twitter course finds you following there as well. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap on the podcast, please follow the YouTube channel, follow the podcast, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com founder. Thank you very much for listening, and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.